Hello and welcome to this Methods podcast. My name is Jane Fallon and today I'm joined by Sam Hall, B. Kelly, Dr. Marcia Aftab, Jude Jennison and Hannah Pinnock to celebrate International Women's Day by discussing leading digital transformation, why women do it so well. This podcast was recorded on the 24th of February, 2022. Enjoy. Morning, everyone. It's lovely to talk to you about leading the the cultural change that supports digital transformation and why women do it so well. Uh, And last night I was having a think uh, um, because I'd had a lovely day and I'd met Sam about some of the supportive and inspirational women I am lucky enough to have in my life uh, and how I've got to know a lot of them through work and I am really lucky that uh, five of them have joined me for a conversation this morning and I really am grateful for that and everything that you've supported me and inspired me to think of uh, a little bit differently and I wanted to shine a light on the wonderful things that they do and can bring to really understanding if we want to do, particularly in the world we work in, public services better. So it's better for our mum and our nan and whoever else. We need to have the right organisation and cultural change to support that. And that happens with the right sort of leadership at the top. And it's something that I think women can do particularly well. So I wanted to shine a light on that. So if I do a quick round the room and introduce the, the, the women that we have here today, that would be great. So I'm going to start with um, a close colleague of mine who is Hannah, who I've been working with for a couple of years, and she is one of our design strategists. And she works at the, she's really passionate about that intersection of organizational culture, design and digital. Hannah, if you can just say a little bit about yourself, that would be wonderful. Pleasure. Yeah, thanks, Jane, for having me. Um, So, yeah, so I work kind of generally in the public sector, supporting organisations kind of progress down that digital transformation path and really kind of facilitating the adoption of those human centred design approaches, agile ways of working uh, and so forth. And I'm I'm currently working and really proud to work with Birmingham City Council um, on the delivery of their new digital strategy and their customer programme. Brilliant. Thank you. And Sam, over from Wales, Uh, Sam is the Chief Digital Officer for Local Government in Wales, which is a huge and amazing job, and they're already uh, beginning to make changes, which is just wonderful. But Sam, if you can say a little bit about yourself, that would be great. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Jane. Um, Yeah, so I'm Sam Hall, and uh, I'm lucky enough to live and work in Wales, so I've got the possibly the best job for a Welsh woman uh, there is going. before that, um, well, actually, my my entire career has been in public sector. So this is my 32nd year of working in the public sector. But most of that was in central government departments. And then I went to Birmingham City Council and kicked off their digital transformation that um, Hannah is now still working on. And then I had the opportunity to come back to Wales, working with the, the 22 local authorities that make up the Welsh government um, and to support them on their, their transformation journey which is chewy. It's a lovely <laughs> chewy job to do. But I love every second of it. I love it. And B, um, so B, as I said, leads the digital data and technology profession development and delivery at DCMS. I hope I've said that right, uh, B. But if you could just say a little bit about yourself, that would be great. 
Thanks, Jane. Yes, there's way too many D's in that, isn't there? Um, <laughs> it is. It's a bit of a mouth, mouthful. Um, so, gosh, I can't compete with Sam and her amazing contribution to the public sector. I've been a civil servant now for nine years, working in a range of different roles, but always bringing agile and human-centered design into the change and the transformation that um, I lead, be that behavior change around bringing agile principles into ways of working, or whether that's supporting um, policy teams to think differently about the way they're engaging with the citizens for consultations, or trying to join up government departments around concepts like government as a platform. Um, before that, I worked in the public sector, I worked in financial services, um, and I had a really brilliant um, uh, view into you know, crisis communications and the power of um, connectivity for digital communications, particularly around things like ATM outages and money laundering fines. So, um, yeah, thank you for having me. Oh, it's lovely to have you here. And because I wanted to bring some different perspectives, I also wanted to bring into the conversation a couple of other amazing ladies I have been lucky enough to meet. Uh, so uh, Dr. Mersha Aftab, um, I've met just again through a coincidence co uh, connection, uh, and she works at Birmingham City University, and she's a senior lecturer in design management. But Mersha, it'd be lovely if you could talk a little bit about yourself. Hi, everyone. Thank you, Jane, for the introduction. So yes, I'm not originally from here. Uh, originally from India, moved here 12 years ago and uh, moved here because I was angry. <laughs> angry with the system and the services and how particularly designers and creatives were treated. Um, so I said, I'm going to change the world and I'm going to go to UK, do my master's and do a PhD and, uh, you know, create, motivate, women, men, anyone who wants to change the world. So that's what I'm doing at BCU. I uh, lead the course uh, Design Management, which is uh, quite a broad, broadly speaking, it um, motivates the next leaders, the future leaders, into thinking uh, more human-centered and using design thinking and empathy to empower those who want to change. So that's in a nutshell, that's where my research and teaching is. Thank you ever so much. Thank you. Thank you. And we have Drew Jennison with us as well. And again, works outside of the public sector, but she is a, a di the director of Leaders by Nature. She's a published author. And Jude, if you can just say a little bit about yourself and what you do, that would be wonderful. Yes, thank you, Jane. Um, yeah, I have a very, very different background in that I uh, run a leadership and team development company and I work with a herd of horses to reveal our non-verbal communication and behaviour. And I'm seeing you raising eyebrows already. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a very unusual way of working, but it reveals what's going on internally for us. So we start to recognise what we're thinking and feeling and how that influences teams and how it how we influence each other non-verbally so looking at the things that are happening in teams but we're often not speaking about 
so where there's resonance or dissonance for example and prior to that I've been doing that for 10 years and prior to that I worked for IBM for 17 years and um, I never really learned anything technical whatsoever but I learned the ability to lead large sometimes large teams of people to change their behavior to do things differently to lead digital transformation without understanding the tech side of it and so really I've honed my skills on on the people and their behaviors and what we need to do to get the best out of people. Thank you ever so much. A brilliant group of ladies. So I wanted to kick the, the conversation off and we've all touched on it really. Uh, but uh, Hannah, if you could pick up on this just to so if we look at if we're talking about everyone talks about digital transformation, but from your experience working with lots of organisations, what do you see as the key ingredients that, that can make that happen to achieve that? Mm, it's a good place to start, isn't it? Um, so I think the just the phrase digital transformation suggests that there needs to be a transformation and, and, a, and a transformation program uh, is often the way that organisations seek to, to achieve that. And actually, I think it's um, not a, a great approach, you know, spending lots of money and lots of resource on doing a, a big bang thing um, that often doesn't work or it isn't as effective as it's hoped to be. Um, and I'm reminded of a um, a blog post that kind of resurfaced recently from um, Matt Edgar, who is a transformation director at NHSX. Um, and it was originally um, written and published in 2015. It's called The Last Target Operating Model You'll Ever Need. And in it, he talks about um, how, like, actually, if there's this culture of continuous improvement, then that transformation should just be kind of an ongoing sort of way of working. Um, so, you know, I guess the delivering that kind of major program that is really disruptive, very expensive, um, and aims to kind of really transform um, the, the operations of an organisation is actually sort of a defunct concept. Um, and I really that really resonates with me, and I really think that um, that actually if we can move to a, a place where it's just an ongoing um, an ongoing process, that would be much more effective. Um, the challenge, of course, is getting leaders to actually buy into that um, and and understand it. And, um, you know, and when you do get that that leadership um, in place, I think it can really pay pay dividends um, in terms of like key ingredients. I think for me um, and I'm probably biased, but I think human centered design is absolutely at the heart of achieving that transformation and and changing how we think about our, the citizens that are using our service, how we think about our staff. Um, and then plugging in the kind of agile approach, that agile mindset. Um, and then in, in addition, I think the third element for me, which is really important, is that the change management angle. And actually, you very rarely find practitioners who are um, who are able to kind of cover all three of those elements. Um, you know, your, your traditional consultants bring the change management angle and then your kind of designers maybe bring the, the human-centered design agile approach. And often the two don't really mix or blend or, or even work together. Um, so for me, I think those three elements are um, are crucial and, and taking this uh, sort of approach of it being gradual and a continuous kind of incremental improvement actually is um, is more a more effective route to, to to achieve that digital transformation. Great. So the the change management, the cultural change is just absolutely key, isn't it, to embedding it? Sam, if I could ask you, um, what do you think the culture might look like to support this, or where have you seen a good culture that can support it happening, or 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 or, or otherwise, where the culture stops it happening? 
from your experience? I think that I think there's a willingness. There's there's always when you have conversations with senior leaders, um, especially you know I do across Wales, there is a massive willingness to change and to make those changes and to get and to be better at everything we do. And then there there's a bit of a wall. Um, well, how do we get to do that? Then what are the things? What are the levers we need to pull to do that? Um, there's something around the language that we all use, and, and we quite often use this um, semi-quasi-technical language of um, of agile, because we, we we know we all try and work in the agile world. But actually, it's it's almost a a scientific language which doesn't necessarily resonate with the people that I'm trying to convince, who are counsellors, who are who are there because they want to change their community and they want to make change to their community. And so we have to bridge that gap to have those conversations. Um, and so if I talk about a service wrapper, um, then I know people are going to switch off. If I talk about throwing an arm around or putting a blanket around a family and helping them to deliver and helping them to have a better life, then more people are going to listen to me. So I've had to kind of moderate the way I I have those conversations to make sure that I'm talking the right language. And we all know that talking the right language is, is the right thing to do, but actually finding the way and, and finding those those triggers and those levers to open that way of thinking is actually really challenging. I think that's that's really, really challenging. And we're still learning and we're still finding those things. Um, now, one of one of our recent projects has been around um, the better use of data, um, and we really want people to use data and, and evidence to make better decisions. But I found it hard to get people interested in a project which says look at data. But when I asked people if they wanted to work on a project um, around food poverty and trying to stop children having to take food out of bins, then everyone wanted to be a part of it. So there is something about um, putting the humanity back into digital for me which is which is I think is where we need to go now we've, we've done the we've done the technical bit we've done the sciencey bit we got to put the human back in absolutely no I completely agree B, be interesting to hear your experiences as well from the public sector of where you've seen maybe a supportive culture for bringing around change and and what that's looked like Gosh, um, I love what you've said, Sam, about you know putting the human back in there because I think, um, I think, uh, I think it's purpose. The core of everything has to be what the purpose is, why we're showing up to work. We're we're talking about women here, and I think, um, or kind of the focus is, and I think one of the um, you know one of the special things about women or the kind of um, additional things about women is that you tend to have that mental load so that you know here I am looking um uh, sharing jargon but those additional things that are about like running a home looking after a family supporting elderly parents you know it's all those kind of remembering birthdays or um you know those sort of things they you know a woman will tend to have all those extra things in her head um, and have a multitude of different roles that she's um, that she's performing, both you know sometimes inside her the office simultaneously as well as outside. And I think when it comes to building culture, that really helps in terms of that deeper empathy 
for first of all people need to know exactly why they're there and what you know what they're contributing because time is precious mental space is precious and everybody wants to do the best that they can and it's about kind of motivating people to help them get there so you know and I think I think Jude I'd love to hear what um what you've discovered because in the public sector I find no shortage of people who are motivated by doing good in society there's this huge willingness um, and there's this sense of deep privilege to be able to perform this service on this scale but then there's a hesitancy about getting it wrong or you know maybe having an adverse impact and so the appetite for risk can be um yeah can be quite can be quite limiting so I tend to find that there's there's a kind of traditional culture or approach which is much more about personality led. It's quite it's quite a masculine approach, yeah. Um, and that kind of command and con control that you know super dynamic individual, you know, right? Everybody, we're going over here, and it's, and it's really energizing and really exciting and dynamic. But it can it can really I've found it can have the adverse effect of kind of splintering that team out. So although there's a core purpose, there's now kind of tensions and conflicts and competitions between them. And I think, I think what I'm beginning to see more of is this deeper understanding of networks. I mean, the irony, the irony that, you know, digitization and the internet, you know, is really about connecting people and connecting things in a more, you know, in a more immediate and dynamic way, but recognizing the power of networks, the power of, you know, the three-dimensional person, the, the, the power of the things that they have in addition to their jobs that will help them come together and build brilliant communities of practice will you know, build relationships with parts of the business, which are perhaps a bit hesitant, have that empathy, build that empathy. And that much more sort of organic change and less, less dramatic, less, you know, fanfare, and you know, that sort of continuous groundswell, I'm seeing, I'm seeing a greater appetite for, although there's of course this tension because it's less dramatic and shiny. But actually, there's so much work happening. I still think you can kind of shine a light on the, the more kind of shiny elements of different aspects. But if we're really going to change, and heavens, Sam, you know, if, if we're going to be, um, you know, helping young people and families and children not be in food poverty, then it needs to take a, you know, a deep systemic kind of systems view of how we make change. No, that's absolutely great. Um, um, you mentioned Jude, so let's pick up on Jude with some of those things about different ways of doing leadership. From your experience, what have you seen and what have you seen really help sort of, um, because lots of people, as, as Bisha said, have gone in and done some big bangs and some delivery, but then it sort of dies down. And, and that I've seen happen a lot in the public sector. But what have you seen about really helping sort of embed change in the longer term? Yeah, well, to pick up on some of these points, what, what happens when we whenever we create change of any kind, whether it's a small amount of change or a massive change, like going into lockdown as a result of the pandemic, what we always create is uncertainty. And 
we don't like uncertainty. We like things nailed down. We like to know what things are going to look and feel like because that's what makes us feel secure and safe. And so even those of us, I mean, I love uncertainty, but I also say that I hate it at times as well. So even those of us who thrive on change and uncertainty also are looking for certainty. And so what we look for whenever there's change and uncertainty is that charismatic leader that goes, right, yeehaw, follow me, that B talked about, where what we actually really need is a balanced leader who has the charisma enough to, to for people to go, yes, I can trust you, I can believe you, you're credible but is more inclusive yeah. that is more humble um because to be inclusive we have to be more humble because to be inclusive we have to recognize that i don't know all of the answers and that when i come together with different people and see different perspectives and different points of view then together we can collaborate and co create something that is better than what any one of us could create on our own and that that means the charismatic leader that has all of the answers is isn't really relevant in uncertainty even though that's what we naturally are gravitating towards so we need that real balanced and well-rounded leader i think that's one of the things that women can do really well yeah. um i think you also mentioned that sometimes women don't feel like they have a voice and they don't put themselves out there enough i think sometimes that's the fear of being that over dominant overbearing charismatic leader that is not listening and, and no longer curious. I think if we can start to, to see every leadership trait as a positive trait in balance, then we can start to bring charisma with humility. Yeah. And that for me is what makes brilliant leadership is knowing when to be charismatic and knowing when to be curious and humble and vulnerable and not have all the answers. And human-centred design really is about curiosity. It's about not going in with all the answers and listening to what comes out of uh, research or, or design so we can look at alternatives and being open to alternatives. So I completely agree. I think that's absolutely key. And Mercia, you were rebelling maybe about things that you've not seen before. It'd be really interesting to hear what you've what you've seen without naming any names that maybe doesn't support uh, having that design or human centered design be it in public se sector or, or, or more creative. What can stymie that happen? What can stop that? Yeah, thank you. Uh, very in, I really uh, understand where you're coming from. And I, I live in theory. So I look at uh, leadership theory and change theory and and there's one theory that is upcoming and it's in line with digital transformation and which is the transformative leadership theory and we look at that a lot in practice within our classroom and within the research and it's all about strength over workload so encouraging and empowering the team members so definitely the the balance between charisma and that leadership come follow me and it almost feels like the designers if i or creative people who are creative and think out of the box and they have more strong left brain they are pushing the idea away of that hierarchical leadership because they are saying we can lead from the bottom we can lead communities can lead we can work with communities and 
the push to, for change can come from communities. So you see that a lot in design thinking and social innovation side. And from top to bottom, if the leader is not empowering these grassroots level designers to make this change, to be that force of empowerment and encouragement and the voice for the community, then something is wrong. Then the leadership is not working. Then we move into women. And uh, then I, I've read some, what do women bring to this table, you know, as leaders? And it will be surprising that women and leadership, the theory and the research is just about started. We only focused on, as academics, we only or mostly focused on leadership as in the white man leader, you know, the traditional face of leadership. And it's just about starting and the pandemic has kicked off a lot of debate around how women lead in, in crisis. And there's research saying women have done it better in, at, in local levels and national levels and global levels. So, so why do they do it better? And, and uh, there's one school of thought that says, well, women are taught to be kind. As girls, we are taught to be nice. We are taught to adjust. We are taught to listen. We are taught to care for other people. And that's what makes us who we are as mothers, as carers. But make, and there's one school of thought that thinks we should train women or nurture girls as, as strongly as we nurture boys. But there's another school of thought saying, no, don't ask women to be unkind. Don't ask women to jump and be risky. Support them in showing their leadership while being kind. So what can we do as carers, as parents, as, as uh, leaders, and in position that we are, to encourage women and girls at a young age and also within the university, that they maintain that empathy, that fairness, that kindness, but also have the platform to shine, to show that they can lead and build that confidence. Because what we are seeing is that organizations and private organizations, I can say more about because I have data to prove it, they, they are not being supportive of women. They are not celebrating their work or rewarding their work. Things are changing, but very slowly. Yes. So women almost have to break the barriers and break, break that glass box and kind of be a man to prove that they are good enough but we don't need to that's what that's what the message is we don't need to we have all the uh, interpersonal skills and emotions and, and around us we just need that supportive system so and I think universities play a big role in this to give that platform and to encourage the women but definitely I mean the stories I'm hearing here are so inspirational that, that, I know. That, that's really interesting and, and Jude it's really interesting about that sort of well-rounded leadership I think just uh, and that's quite good though to know it is well-rounded because I think what I've seen is maybe quite a lot of command and control which then quashes some of that start and enthusiasm for human-centered design and being enabled to do iterative 
changes and delivery to see what works across time. And I completely agree with that point on humility. And uh, I've personally never been able to be anything other than my authentic, messy, scatty self sometimes at work. And I am quite honest and open about what I don't know. And in fact, sometimes I'm, I, I'm more aware of what I don't know than what I do. Uh, and I can really push that forward. And I'm both proud of that, but it still makes me feel incredibly vulnerable and sometimes not quite worthy enough. So I think as women, if we can support that, and I think as well as leaders, you know, if we're doing that sort of, it, it, and even though we want to remove the language barriers, the, these are still new ways of working, you know, introducing human-centered design into an organization. And I think if leaders, if we can model that we are learning and be really open with that, with people in our organization, this is what I've learned this week. This is what I read. It was interesting. I think that can really help others. And I think women can do that really, really well if they're given a chance and a platform. And I think being able to say, I don't know, is so powerful as a leader, but it's so infrequently modeled in lots of places that I've worked. Uh, and and I think that's a sort of a vulnerability that uh, that that you have. Um, Hannah, what's your experience on that? Yeah, it's really interesting. I was thinking, um, well, you know, the discussion has been going on about the the types of leadership I, I witness in in my work. I think um, you're you're completely right in that being modelling that kind of vulnerability is uh, an uncomfortable place to be whilst it's not recognized as a strength um and you know until until we move to a place where actually it's widely recognized across organizations that leaders don't have to have all the answers and it's okay if they don't know and it's better to kind of say okay we need to look into this a bit further and be evidence-based in our decisions you know that we are making um i think until that happens i, I there's going to be a bit of there, there will be discomfort I think and and it will take time for us to to um move into a a, a space where that where that type of leadership that style of leadership which is inherently connected to kind of the agile way of working right and the kind of the human-centered design approach of like we don't need to have all the answers at the start like we don't need to know where where we're going it's okay to to, to be exist in this kind of um this uncertain world and this ambiguity because actually we will get there and, and actually when we do get there the thing at the end will be even better because we've started in that that sort of ambiguous space um so yeah so it's definitely i think maybe there's sort of um Marcia touched on like childhoods but i think there's something kind of maybe inherently uncomfortable for some people in society to uh to, to put their hands up and say i don't know um, and but we need to create a space where it's safe for leadership to to do that to, to be comfortable in, in in acknowledging they don't know and it starts off with us all modeling that right um but it's difficult when you think oh maybe me modeling this is actually going to hurt me and my career in the process um yeah okay yeah that's good and sam what are the if you were going to talk to uh, um, a woman working or starting on a leadership journey particularly in an area like local government, what would you have any advice of what you've learned or what you're seeing that can sort of help her help shape the change? 
yeah I think the first thing is when you go on any of the um, traditional leadership training courses and they say to you um, can you think of a strong woman and anyone puts their hand up and says Margaret Thatcher leave the leadership meeting and training straight away because the only reason that Margaret Thatcher is thought of as a strong leader is because she led like a man um, and that was why she was was basically you know that that was why she was lauded at the time was because she led like a man um, and you know it's it's actually telling people to or being able to show people that they can lead in the way that they think is authentic to them because if you're not authentic you will not gain trust and if you don't you don't gain trust people will not will not support you in what you're trying to do so it's not leading them it's not making them it's not forcing them it's not your agenda it's that they will not support you in doing the right thing yeah. um and and so that authenticity and that credibility is actually way more important to a woman i think in leadership than it is to a man because it matters to us because we react to trust and credibility and we we react to being part of something bigger and, and and that being part of something bigger is 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 a driver for us it really is and so um i think it's the you know being being able to say to to you know leaders of, of the future is that it is absolutely okay to have all of those feelings you know i, I remember being told um by a, a manager a, a senior male manager before when i was starting my career in um that i would go far because i'm not moody i'm not a moody woman Oh, I am a moody woman. I really am a moody woman. But that just because I don't necessarily play all of that out in front of you, but I actually go do something about the way I'm feeling. That's why I win. That's my win for me personally. Um, I don't need to play all this out, my temper tantrums out in the team and things like that. I'm going to deal with it in another way. And I think that that, um, you know, being seen as as emotional women is, you know, it used to be such a, a negative connotation but actually it's starting to change a little bit but right. it's it's finding the right emotions that that trigger the right behaviors i think is is really important and and i don't you know i don't, I don't mind a, a, you and i spoke the other day and i said about you know that that project that we did with with food poverty it was mostly the guys in my team that, that dealt with it and they started really robust down this journey of talking about food poverty and then they spoke to people and now we're putting it into mental health training for the team because it affected them so profoundly. Um, hearing mums and dads talking about this struggle and actually they're sharing that across the team. They're sharing the feelings that they had. And these are, you know, we're, we're in we're in Wales. We're not going to it's not going to be a surprise that they're kind of rugby playing big blokes. And it hurt them. It hurt them to hear. And that's okay. And these guys, they're, they're young and they're, they're new to the team and they're going to be great leaders because they're accepting the hurt. And, and they're listening to the people that we're trying to make things better for and they're bringing that voice into the organisation. You know, that that's absolutely key, however you can do it. We can get sometimes so bogged down in uh, business cases and other things that we need to do that we forget about the voice of whoever we're ultimately trying to make a change for. And I think, yeah, whoever can bring that back into the organisation, I just think that's key in terms of cultural change. I, I hear a lot about, you know, people will say that their, their principles or their ways of working are 
user-led or user-first, but actually how they make that happen and how they bring those people's voices and make them alive in terms of everything that they do in their organisation. I think that's that's really, really telling. Um, B, what about you? What about your advice for um, uh, younger women who are sort of coming up? What would you say to them in terms of developing the, the, the leadership that they can bring to organisations? Um, I think I'd recommend three things. First thing, which I've recently discovered, is finding, um, I'd hate to describe him like a, a kind of um, guide, but he's very different from me. He's much more senior and he has um, a really masculine way of articulating himself. And it's been a really great way when I've been thinking things through or thinking how I'm going to present something, having him give his perspective so that I can see what the other side of the perspective is, the very much more kind of masculine and um, yeah, kind of go-getting. And I have so valued that. I really find it fascinating seeing how he would interpret or present something, which then helps me reflect on how I want to do it or what I might want to take or I might want to build upon. So I think, you know, finding someone who is, is really different from you um, to kind of help you, help you really unpick and understand what you want to hold on to and what you want to let go of and maybe what you might need to emulate in order to get your way through the kind of maze of leadership. So that, that would be point number one. Point number two would be about finding allies. The thing about the thing about creating trust and understanding and valuing trust is that you won't find many women who haven't felt unsafe at some point in their lives. That's why, that's why we value trust, because we inherently know what it feels like to feel an unsafe space. We feel energies, we can go into a room and we can identify whether it's safe for us to speak or not. Now we're not alone in that. There are other people who, who are like that. There are those who have been marginalized. You know, There are people who are not normally given a seat at the table due to ethnicity, disability, you know, sexual orientation. Um, and so I think there's, there's a lot of opportunity to find allies. Actually, if you add us all up, we're quite, uh, you know, we're quite a large group. Um, so I think finding those allies, finding that connection, building that network, um, I think is really important to then lift each other up. So lifting up trans women as much as we would, you know, um, a guy who is, um, you know, a very kind of beta personality who has that gentleness and softness and who isn't necessarily getting the cut through, you know, what can we do to kind of lift and, you know, celebrate those leadership skills? So find allies, um, get yourself a kind of translator. And the third thing is um, work on yourself because we all carry a lot of baggage and I mean, I'm sure, um, Jude, this is what your horses pick out and kind of can sniff out immediately. 
there's, you know, we, we carry the baggage of insecurity, we carry the baggage of hurt, we carry the baggage of, you know, times when we tried and it blew up in our faces. And that really, I think, is part of that inauthenticity because we're trying to overcompensate or get around or mask or, you know, prevent people from seeing the kind of, you know, the darker side of our of our personalities or what we perceive as the less attractive parts of our personality. And I think by continuously doing that work on yourself, um, by, you know, either having a really trusted core, core of friends to help you unpick that, or, you know, someone who's prepared to say in a meeting, were you really, were you really underconfident? Because God, you really sold that hard. And that, you know, you know, just being able to have that feedback and think, you know, yeah, actually, when I was in a place of, you know, insecurity and fear, I went too far. Um, but that doesn't make me a bad person. That just means that I'm learning and I'm, you know, and having that, having that continuous focus on your yourself and what you then bring into that human centered and then what you can then bring out of those conversations because you're aware of what you, what you, um, what you have and what you need to let go of and sometimes that needs work that needs therapy that needs you know a good good friend sometimes it needs you know just time but it's 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 a continuous journey that's really interesting because you do you you can't help but bring your whole person to work you know work is such a big chunk of our time and we can't just turn things off and I think that's really really important as well that self-reflection and that you are on a learning journey. Mercia and Jude so over to you if you were going to try and if you were going to talk or, or give you know your your advice or your learnings to uh, women who are coming into leadership roles either younger women or women who've returned to work later on who are then coming to the table what are some of the key things that you would want to share and impart to help lift them up? You want to go first, Jude? Uh, yeah, can do. Yeah, sure. So I so this this year for International Women's Day, the the theme is break the bias. Yeah. And when I think about when I started um, my career in the early 90s, I was one of about five women in an office of 1500 men. And I was repeatedly told I wouldn't have a career because I was a woman and because I wasn't technical. Yeah. And I did have an amazing career, but not in the way that anybody else had had a career in that company before, because I carved it my way. So I think in many ways, we have the opportunity to follow, follow our noses and go where the energy takes us to, to really use our strengths and, and then continually expand our range. And, and I think B talked a lot about expanding our range of that, that requirement for situational leadership to mold who we're being in any given moment. And I think women do this really well because we've learned to operate in a, in a white man's world and it is changing. Um, and because we've learned to conform and work within the system we've also learned to change it from the inside out as well as the outside in and so i think that makes us really brilliant as situational leaders so that we can mold ourselves and i see that as a huge strength for for women and um, but i also want to talk to um to what that's like for men because i work with a, a lot with men 
And many of them want to bring their emotions to work. They want to be more human. They want to show more heart and soul in the workplace. And they're afraid to do so because they're afraid to be vulnerable. They're afraid to be seen as weak and they're afraid to be shunned and put down. And so I think that women can demonstrate um, what it is to be an, a leader that leads from emotion, from a skillful use of emotion to say, actually, I'm feeling frustrated, as Sam talked about. If I'm feeling frustrated, what do I want to do with that? There's a reason why I'm frustrated. So what is it that I'm wanting and needing or what boundary has been stepped over? And therefore, what's my powerful request of you? So we can use our emotions in a really skillful way and we can role model that. And when we role model that and show that it's powerful and it's compelling and it's charismatic in its own way, then we role model for men that it's safe for them to do the same as well. And I think what that does is it lifts everybody up, both men and women. I think that's brilliant. And I love that phrase, a skillful use of emotion. I think that's just absolutely perfect. So, yeah, that really resonated with me. And, and Mercia, finally, when you're talking to your students, what are the sort of things you want them to take when they leave, they leave your course? Oh, yeah, so many. I mean, we are starting the new module, which is uh, leadership and design entrepreneurship, and it lasts for eight weeks. And I get really sad because it just lasts for eight weeks and it's such a life-changing module and they are vulnerable, they cry, they get frustrated, they get angry, but there's one thing that I tell them, leadership is about action, don't go by what position you have, if someone is giving you importance or not, it doesn't matter, you are right to be angry. But what do you do with that anger? Don't just be angry, do something about it. So action, action-centered leadership we talk about. And then we talk about confidence, especially for women. You have to find ways to believe in your abilities. And and as women, we, we are really proud. I see it in my daughter, she's three years old and she thinks she's the princess and she can change the world. But yes, but then the moment they became 16, 17, it goes down. They feel like the world is changing them. The world is judging them. Why? Why this change? So it's about picking up that confidence you had as a three-year-old and bringing it back to life, believing in yourself. The other thing I tell them is choose the company you want to go in. Don't just go because the opportunity exists. And it, I've seen the change. Ten years ago, I came in and I took the first opportunity that came because of course I was an immigrant, I needed a job, visa, blah, blah, blah. But now things are changing. People, humans can choose who they work for. Don't work for unethical organizations. Don't work for organizations who don't have support for you as a woman, as a person, as a human being. Don't work for organizations who don't care about your mental well-being. Don't work for organizations who are not sustainable. But build your principles and then choose the organization that supports those principles. And the last thing, especially for women, choose your partners wisely. It matters. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. And I do it with a, a bit of humor. I love that. But it's important who you spend your life with and who you raise your babies with because, uh, and statistics says it, 
um, there were female leaders who were interviewed around 3000 in America only. And they said 42% of them said that they depend on their partners to give them the confidence that they can do it. So it does matter who you are with and mothers as well. But we can't choose our mothers, but we can choose our partners. So. <laughs> choose our partners and we can choose some of the, the people that we surround ourselves with yeah. and be open to learning from them and so often we don't make time to have conversations where we can learn from colleagues and peers and other people we know we're just so busy just getting on um i just want to thank everyone for being part of the conversation again i've learned a lot we started off talking about digital transformation and how that was about uh, bringing in a, maybe a different style of leadership, a supportive style of leadership, a leadership that nurtures human-centered design and iterative sort of small changes over time building up and what that looks like. We've talked about how language can be such a barrier to that happening and also that it needs a learning and a change and we need to model that learning and change and how all leaders, but particularly women can really help with that because we almost naturally come at it with a, I can't do this, or, you know, we can be quite open if we're authentic about some of our learnings and we need to make the workplace safe for women and men to bring their heart and bring their emotions and bring their whole self. And that's something we can, we can really, really do and support people with because ultimately it makes uh, the work that we do better. It supports that human-centered design, which is so crucial if we want to improve the public services that our, our nans and our family and everyone around us use and helps for that truly inclusive uh, workplace. And I'm definitely gonna take something away from this conversation about that. And I just want to thank you all again for your, your thoughts and your time. It's uh, hugely important in this celebration of Women's International Women's Day to celebrate what we all bring and we're all chipping away at making change and what an amazing job we all do. So thank you. Thank you.